Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Well, we're back, Rita. sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. And we definitely are here, everybody, with Cats and Cosby. And, John, you just made it here. You just came back from an awesome appearance on Fox Business with our buddy Larry Kudlow. Larry Kudlow is a very dear friend for many, many, many years. And, and he asked me to do a segment for, with him. But I made it back to the studio at 5.02. Yeah, and you were on like, it was like 10 minutes ago. By the way, you were awesome. Larry had you on about your new book. And you hit it out of the park talking about energy. And you know what's so great, John? You brought up something that nobody else really talks about. Everything comes down to energy. If we were energy independent again, the country would be in better shape. And it would be very easy to be energy independent. And, and the price of oil would be down to 65 70 And guess what? There will be no inflation. Interest rates will go down. And... The moon, and the sun will shine for the rest of the century. Wow, that's pretty good. That's it. And by the way, you're hearing the great laughter in the background. We have the great Judge Richard Weinberg with us, of course, the best judge ever. And, of course, former New York State chairman of the GOP, Ed Cox. And, of course, Staten Island Borough President Vito Fasella. We got a full house, guys. And we, his son. And his son. Of course. We get, by the way, Vito, you got to quickly tell the story about my cartwheels very quickly. Yeah, many years ago, we were John and Margo were kind enough to host us at their house in the Hamptons. And uh, our daughter, Rowan, was doing these phenomenal flips on the beach. But along came a young spry Rita. And AJ. and AJ, and they started doing backflips on the beach. Very, oh very God. impressive. It was How like do you remember that stuff? Oh, it was a sight to it was a sight to be see. seen and a sight to remember. That's and, for and sure. We, and I survived. I wasn't even. I tell everybody you I was sober too. Great job. <laughs> and I hear Rita. I understand we got some breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. And joining us now is John Solomon, of course, the founder of Just the News, investigative journalist. I understand you have some big breaking news. Share it with us, John. We sure do, Rita. Five years worth of disciplinary reports of every case of misconduct that the FBI has suffered within its ranks. Scores of FBI agents and other employees caught over the last five years engaging in things like drunken driving, stealing property, assaulting children, mishandling classified dockets in many, more than three dozen, losing their service weapons up to and including an M4 carbine military-grade weapon. And yet in most all those cases, the offenders are not fired. They don't lose their job. They get a week or two or three of suspension, and they're back on the job. A lot of people talking about the disparate treatment that goes on inside the FBI's disciplinary system. You know, also, you have uh, one called FBI Gone Wild. Tell us what is going on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a, that's the headline for that actual set of documents. So it's five years of these disciplinary reports, and you just see a bureau where drunken driving is very common. Uh, more than two dozen agents uh, convicted over the last few years. Drunken driving, only five are fired. The rest keep their jobs. Three dozen lose their guns. None are fired uh, for losing a weapon on the job. Even when you store it insecurely and go into Starbucks and allow someone to steal it out of your car, that was the M4 carbine. A lot of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct, including illegally sleeping with a prisoner, illegally sleeping with a confidential human source, improperly 
sleeping with a subordinate employee. Those also are cases that uh, show up in there. In those cases, the good news is the sexual misconduct cases almost always result in termination. There's a more severe penalty there than losing your gun. Uh, but uh, just a sense of the FBI having a lot of the same issues that we see in America, but most people expect that the FBI would have a higher standard and a less incidence of these sort of criminal behaviors, but not so much. The FBI has a lot of internal disciplinary problems. Yeah, wow, that is interesting. The double standards there, and everybody, we're talking to the great John Solomon, investigative journalist, founder of Just the News. Uh, John, also some big news. Uh, going after the soft-on-crime prosecutor in St. Louis. Tell us about that. Yes, this is a prosecutor I'm acutely aware of. I, I sued her a few years ago and won. She was refusing to give us records in a criminal case that she brought that turned out to be a false criminal case. She tried to hide the records from us. The Missouri Supreme Court fined her $5,000, told her to pay our lawyers $5,000 for contempt of court. We ultimately got those records. But Kimberly Gardner, the chief prosecutor in St. Louis, has had a record of allowing or failing to prosecute people in a timely manner. Sometimes those people get out while they're waiting trial and they commit another crime. Finally, the new Missouri attorney general has had enough and said, no more. You are fired. And today he began the processes of formally removing a, a, a prosecutor who's normally elected by the people of St. Louis. This is a rare maneuver. Uh, Kimberly Gardner was the first major local prosecutor that the liberal mega donor George Soros got behind in 2016. Since then, he's been bankrolling prosecutors all across the country, Philadelphia, Los Angeles. But Kimberly Gardner was the role model, the first one. And today the Republican Attorney General of Missouri says no more. I'm removing you from office. A big, big day in Missouri politics. Wow, that certainly is. And I think, of course, of, uh, you know, what happened in San Francisco. And wow, this, this is a good thing, I think, for uh, the criminal system, at least to get tougher on criminals and for the community. You know, what's interesting, John, you also have some great stuff on this border hearing that's taking place today in Yuma, Arizona. The Republicans are there. Where's the Democrats? Yeah, they were too busy to show up. I guess they had a holiday week. They didn't want to show up at the border, probably because they don't have a lot to talk about that's good. But yeah, that's right. Congressman Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Andy Biggs, a field hearing taking Congress to the people in Arizona most affected by the border crisis. Uh, it's ongoing as we speak. Uh, they're hearing from hospitals and sheriffs and law enforcement and community uh, organizations that have been overwhelmed by the illegal aliens coming in, the criminal activity associated with the fentanyl deaths uh, that are occurring there. Uh, just yesterday, uh, a car was stopped with enough fentanyl to kill 800,000 people. Single arrest, that much fentanyl going on. Uh, but a very poignant hearing in a very absent Democratic Party, not unlike what we saw a couple of weeks ago in Ohio, where the Democrats were slow to show up in the midst of that terrible train tragedy in East Palestine, Ohio. So uh, the, the Democrats, the party that say they care, they aren't showing a lot of care at the border or in Ohio right now. And uh, we just have a few seconds left. Uh, John Solomon, also, you understand uh, that sort of the top three House GOP targets for removal uh, will be Mayorkas, uh, Merrick Garland, and Buttigieg. Is that right? That's right. The Republicans increasingly are calling for their resignation or talking about impeachment. Impeachment articles already filed against Mayorkas. The other people are still talking about, but all three under microscope from the um, uh, House Republicans. And tonight, James Comer tells us he has secured the cooperation of Hunter Biden's closest business partner, a guy named Eric Schwerwin. This is a major break in the congressional investigation of the Biden family uh, business influences. So a big uh, development on that front as well.
Wow, that is big, and we'll see if the floodgates open and if there's documents and a whole bunch more. Uh, John Solomon, awesome to have you here. You always have such big breaking news. Great to have you here on Cats and Cosby. Thanks, Rita. Have a good night. So great to have you with us here, John, on Cats and Cosby. And again, still with us, of course, we have the great John Katsimatidis here at the helm, who just came back from an amazing appearance on Fox, and also Judge Richard Weinberg, of course, Ed Cox and Vito Fasella. Ed, you had an interesting point because he just brought up the fact uh, this is the first Soros-backed DA, and he was talking about the St. Louis prosecutor getting pushed out, by the way, by a Democratic mayor because she's so soft on crime. Here's the Albany DA who was elected with Soros money, must have been 10 years ago, and he's turning on this so-called bail reform here. He's saying the criminals are getting out. we got to do something about it, and also about the discovery laws. They and, just and, don't and, work. and, Ed, you've been about politics for 100 years, and Vito, you too, you're with your family. Why is Soros doing this? Why is he trying? Is he shorting the Philadelphia bonds? Is he shorting the San Francisco bonds? I I do not know. I do not know. But he's got a lot of money, and he puts it in these DA races where a little bit of money goes a long way, and he elects his very, very He recognized DAs. that he, could, he couldn't win all the state legislatures. And it's easier to go soft on crime by controlling the local prosecutors. He's destroying our cities. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so bad that even Democrats are now pushing to get these and soft on crime And here one of out. his people who elected in Albany is turning on and saying, wait a second, this doesn't Enough work. is enough. Thank right. goodness. Thank and, goodness. And, and I understand we got Sid on the line? Yeah, we do, of course. The great host of Sid and Friends. The on number one show uh, the in the morning. The number one show in the morning because we're the number one show at 5 o'clock. Go ahead, Sid. <laughs> Hey, guys, I just uh, want to call in quickly. Don't want to break up this great party. John Solomon is great. Did a great interview with Donald Trump a couple of days ago as well. But just want to congratulate you, Rita, on uh, getting this assignment. John does a great Aww. show. I have to tell you, you know, you put these five guys in a room. But my favorite borough president of all of them is Vito. He knows that. And, of course, Thank you got you, Ed. You got the judge who's a brilliant guy. And every day at 5 o'clock, it's the most interesting hour of radio. Mine may be the most fun, but this is the most interesting hour of radio. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Sid, 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 it's me and the boys, Sid. You know it's going to be a ball. And no, listen, I, Can you I handle all these guys, Rita? With pleasure. With pleasure. <laughs> Hey, by, by the way, John, that was a comment I would make at about 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not till 6.45. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. But listen, you guys sound great. I'm happy I'm happy with you on the show. Cats and Cosby, it sounds Tell great. us the it story. Tell, Sid, tell us the story again when you took out the, that uh, lady to Rayo's and your wife was sitting there. Oh, all right. Oh. Yeah, that was uh, that was my friend Wendy Williams, John, who was a huge TV star, huge TV star. I, by the way, and, uh, I know Wendy. I've been on her show many times. And I had years ago on Fox, I had this little known radio host named Wendy Williams as a guest. Isn't that funny? Yeah, well, she, she blew up into huge stardom. And it turns out that she uh, loved me. And even though she's a raging liberal. So what did your wife ask her? What did your wife ask her at Rayo's? Well, I, I got it. You know, she called me one day and she said, I'm dying to go to Rayo's. Could you ask Bo Deedle to do me a favor? So I called Bo. I got her invited. She's sitting across the table and she's single. And she looks at Danielle and Danielle looks at her. Danielle's a fan of hers as well. And Danielle says, why are you so single? You're pretty. You're successful. You're Wendy Williams. And Wendy goes, because I can't find a man I like. And Danielle goes, what kind of man are you looking for? And she pointed at me and said, him. Oh, no! Oh, my God! That is a true story. 
that happened last year, and it was about two months after that that Wendy Williams went berserk and crazy, and it's been off TV ever so, since. But wait a minute. So Wendy went crazy, you said, two months later. She did your wife? It. I was going to say, did your wife go crazy that night? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Danielle's got a fiery, John, you know her well, so do you, Rita. She's yeah. got a fiery attitude. She is not easy. She was able to maintain her cool that night. But when we got home that night, I heard about Wendy Williams for about three weeks. Oh my! So, so by the way, Sid, first off, you and I go way back. We shared an office together uh, years ago. Um, so, any good office stories? Well, I will say this: you did a great job in that office because I tended to make a mess, and it wasn't just me in that office. But a kid named Mike Gunzelman also shared that office. That's right. I often fell asleep on the couch downstairs. And Rita, you were just all too kind and all too friendly walking in at 5 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes you were a great office mate. Yeah, I'm like, who's this guy asleep on the couch in my office? I know, I know, I know. And I was sober again, so it wasn't there. I had nothing to worry about. (laughs) This is Vino. Quick question. Were the meatballs flying in rails after the Wendy Williams-Danielle encounter? Or the the other two? I got to tell you, it's a great question. Every piece of food that Wendy touched after that comment, I stayed away from. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, Sid, thank you for calling in. I just want to say I am the luckiest person in the world to be sitting alongside John Katz and Matides now every night. Um, as you know, not only is he uh, just the greatest boss, but one of the greatest human beings. So lucky, lucky me with everybody here. Sid, thanks for calling in. We love you. I love you guys, too. Congratulations again. To, you you kept me up you. at 6 Thank o'clock you. in the morning to listen to you. And now, no, Nathan is getting me up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I might as well not sleep. Yeah, you might as well. Uh, well. I'll tell you, he's great. He's great, too. I'll tell you, John, you put together quite a lineup. Ratings and, uh, are again, up. Ratings are up. I, I know. They're way up. So congratulations, Sean. I love you to pieces. Like my dad, I love you, pal. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. And, Thank and I, you. Now I understand. We're going to find out what the heck is going on in the markets. we got Lou Dobbs on. Lou, how are you? Well, I'm outstanding, especially after listening to you all talk it around. <laughs> Yo, what did you think, Lou, of the story about the meatballs flying? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I was thinking because it uh, took me back a few years to a few conversations I've had in the strangest <laughs> moments, but uh, with no meatballs present. <laughs> Lou, what's happening? Uh, I just left Larry Kudlow. I was on with Larry between 4.30 uh, and 5. Uh, what the heck is happening in the markets in your opinion? I'd like to hear your opinion because a lot of people are, are walking around insecure. Well, insecurity isn't a bad uh, uh, posture right now in this market, as you know. This is a market right now being driven by in, in two things, and and two things really that can't – that apparently the Federal Reserve can't control. They can't control the Federal Reserve itself, and they can't control fiscal policy. Fiscal fiscal policy is out of control in this country. The Federal Reserve is sending all sorts of mixed signals right now when it's completely unnecessary. And and to the, if you will, the uh, the Illuminati, the cognoscenti, they uh, they understand that there is $8.4 trillion sitting on the balance sheet of that Federal Reserve that has to be rolled off. And Jerome Powell keeps talking about interest rates and beating a drum that says, you know, it's going to be 25 basis points, 50 basis points for months and months to come. But this you, is madness. And he's creating uh, you know, the, the, the real estate industry in is laying at his feet. What I told Larry Kudlow about a half hour ago, the real estate industry is being destroyed. How do you fix a problem in the economy by destroying 20% of the industry of America, the real estate industry? 
Well, the real estate industry, as you well know, is, is always one of the earliest victims when a Fed begins tightening. As soon as rates start rising, the real estate industry, construction industry, housing market all go to hell. And we're on that path right now. And what concerns me, John, is that this Fed doesn't seem to be listening to uh, to those markets, to those uh, industries and sectors that are important. So, uh, and, so Lou, and, 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 banking is just fine, but it won't be fine very long if unless this Fed uh, gets its head on straight. And I am speaking to Jerome Powell. Uh, and uh, they have to really slow this thing down and make sense and explain what they're going to do with the balance sheet and what the impact of their policy judgments are. I mean, right now, they they look like a group of people. The, the Open Market Committee, the Federal Reserve, they're acting like they have no concept in hell of what they're doing. So, Lou, you're talking, Ed Cox here, you're talking about the, uh, started talking about the other side of the coin, fiscal pro- policy. What's the problem with fiscal policy? The wrong. The problem with the policy is they're trying still to play games with uh, two responsibilities. That is the unemployment levels as well as price stability. And they are doing a really lousy job of both. And when they start talking about hard landings, they're talking about millions of Americans losing jobs. And this is absolutely asinine and unnecessary because the fundamentals of this economy, and this may sound strange, the fundamentals of this economy is you know are basically – Sound. They have to be measured in their policies, the Federal Reserve. And I think that there is an encouraging uh, development, and that is you know, going to 25 basis points. That's, that's better than 50 or 75, but it's still the wrong direction without considering what they're going to do with the, uh, with the balance sheet. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lou Dobbs. Really great to have you here, Lou. Thanks so much. Rita, good to hear your voice and uh, great to be with you. Thank you very much. And everybody stay with us. We have an action-packed show here on Cats and Cosby. We have Ambassador John Bolton coming up, also Doug Schoen. We're going to be talking about Ukraine and coming right up. We have Rudy Giuliani, who is there in East Palestine, Ohio. Big developments today. Stay with us. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, with us now calling in on a special exclusive. Uh, we have uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani calling in from, from Ohio. I understand you were talking to the mayor of Palestine, uh, Ohio, and Budishad was waiting for you to finish. Uh, that's true, John. I didn't know well, it. You get priority. <laughs> I didn't know it, but I did notice the mayor was going on a little bit long. You know, he was like asking the same question two or three times. And I think he, I think he, I do think he did it on purpose. Well, by the way, thank goodness. I mean, like, I'd rather hear from the mayor anyway. What is Budjeg going to say? He's three weeks late. Yeah, every time I brought up, what has he told you? What has he. I got these looks from him and the congressman, like, and the congressman wouldn't stay for the meeting with Buttigieg. He walked out. The minute I left, he said, I'm going with you. Wow. Anybody tomatoes? Any tomatoes? Tomatoes, tomatoes. Hey, Rudy. Rudy, We got Vito Fisella, borough president. Vito. Rudy, you know, when you were on the job, you were any anything that popped up in New York City, you or your team were there in a moment's notice and and making things happen and making things better. How would you characterize the reaction to what's happened where you are right now? Bizarre. 
uh, I, I've never seen anything like this, uh, Vito. When I was the mayor, seven out of eight years, Clinton was the president, Democrat, Republican. I never had a problem uh, about a. I've never had a problem about a about an issue like this. We might have had political issues about how much money and that sort of thing, but not like I need FEMA. The minute you said FEMA, you got it from him and from Bush. In fact, there are times in which we got FEMA before we asked. I would call the president and the president would say, I already put it in action, Mr. Mayor. That it was like a non-issue. Nobody ever used FEMA as a political football. Now, this county is very heavily Republican. The the town itself, I think, was 77 percent Trump. So you can get an idea that this is exactly the kind of people that he's yelling and screaming about all the time. You know, the MAGA, MAGA, super MAGA Republicans, they love Trump. They're pro-American. And the whole idea, he couldn't have picked the worst thing to do than to go to Ukraine instead of here. Because one of their complaints is he doesn't pay attention to the United States. It's an America first group. You know, okay, we want to help Ukraine, but how about how about the uh, how about the people here that are that are sick? So, well, Rudy, we, we, we have the same problem in New York. We rather help we rather help the migrants coming in from Central America than help the poor Americans and the middle class Americans that are starving. Yeah, and what about our veterans and everybody else, John? It is. It's outrageous. Same sort of standard. How about we take care of the American people first? Yeah, absolutely. And here are these people. I mean, you see the images. There was a new report today, guys, that said like 3,500 like dead fishes. And this is coming from a government agency. Ed, Ed you have a question, right? Well, yeah, with, with the FEMA point you're raising, Ed Cox here, Rudy, with the FEMA point you're raising, so first the administration said, we're not going to do FEMA. No. Then they only do it partially. That's crazy even from a political point of view, isn't it? Yeah, of course it's crazy. I mean, uh, that's just what FEMA is for. FEMA is not only for big things. It's for big things. Media- I mean, this is big enough. My God, uh, thir- uh, immediately there were 3,500 fish dead. There are uh, a couple hundred people in the hospital from various kinds of respiratory illnesses, headaches, that sort of thing. I was with a woman today. She is the woman uh, in which they found all of these, they found the original fish that were poisoned in her stream. Her stream is now useless in her backyard. Uh, they're convinced that her well has been contaminated. Mr. Mayor. Uh, she, she has to sell her house. She's got no, no place to live. Mr. Mayor, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. They keep saying the water's okay to, to drink. You can bathe in it. You can brush your teeth oh, in God. it. The air is fine. How can they actually I make those claims? I, did, I, did, I, did, I got to tell you, I didn't go down to the stream and brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that but, would be a sight, Rudy. But how irresponsible is that, Mr. Mayor? Wanted me to go there. there are a bunch of Democrats that suggested I go there, but I decided I wasn't going to go. <laughs> they wanted you to swim in the stream, right, Rudy? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I, it, it, go it, ahead, go ahead Rudy, please. These people are in a state of confusion. John and, and Reader, everyone, they're in a state of confusion. They're being told different things by different people. And, uh, and they don't know who to trust. They, three people this morning before I left for breakfast, people I didn't even know, just came up to me and said, Mayor Giuliani, 
is there any reason why President Trump, uh, President Biden would hate us? I said, I don't know. I don't know if he hates you, but they they feel like he has something in. It's it's like a feeling that people get sometimes like he's got something in for us. Um, you know what? You know what um, was really just so gut wrenching, Rudy. I was seeing last night um, after you and I were on the show on my show at 10 p.m. Uh, with me. There were family members that literally were going over to Norfolk Southern and saying, did you take years off my life? Will my child die in a few years? As a result, they are so angry. They are so worried. Talk about gut-wrenching. Well, what's going to happen in Norfolk Southern? Norfolk Southern. Yeah, and they just came out, by the way, a little bit ago that um, there have, the wheel bearings is what they believe preliminarily is responsible right. that the, the wheel bearings overheat have a ball. Kaching, kaching, Ed Cox. <laughs> wow. I, I think okay. the issue. Think the, the issue Vito is. The, I think the problem is it is an emergency. Fix the problem now. What you see coming out of Washington is condemning the the the, uh, the railroad company, condemning everybody, saying what the problem Rudy is. Of course, Trump's problem. And and just fix the problem. Yeah, we'll save this argument for another day. How do you blame this one on Trump? Well, that's what Buttigieg did. That was the first thing out of his mouth. That was Trump's problem. Right. Every, he'd blame the rain on Trump. You know, he um, before we let you go, Rudy, how was Buttigieg received by the crowd? Because last when Trump was there, they were cheering. It was like you would have thought it was like, you know, the Super Bowl. What was the reaction to Buttigieg today? The part that I saw, there was no recognition of it. It was as if um, it was as if just another person was walking into the mayor's office. I'm sure they know who he is. They made believe they didn't. Well, Rudy Giuliani, stay safe. They didn't boo him. They weren't just respectful. But the part that I saw, it was only about five minutes when he came in. And then I saw a little bit later on when he was walking around. He looked, it looked like he was being deliberately ignored. Wow. Yeah, they're calling it Secret Pete's Visit is what one of the headlines is. Um, Rudy, thank you. We love you. You stay, stay safe. Stay safe, uh, Rudy. Don't hey. drink the water and, the, and don't go swimming. Don't drink the water. <laughs> don't. Thank you, Rudy, very much. And coming up on Cats and Cosby, still have an action-packed show, guys. Ambassador John Bolton is going to give us the latest on Russia, Ukraine, big developments, more troops to Taiwan. Stay with us. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. With Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Katz and Cosby. Big news today. Uh, we are actually quadrupling our U.S. troops to Taiwan. This, of course, comes with all the stuff with China and Russia and Ukraine. Boy, uh, it's explosive, John. And joining us now is Ambassador John Bolton, of course. He's the author of The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir, and also was President Trump's national security advisor. Ambassador Bolton, what do you make of this move with U.S. troops beefing up in Taiwan? Wow. And very publicly, it's coming out. 
Yeah, no, I think it's the right thing to do. And it's it's only uh, at least the first detachment's only about 200 uh, troops. If you go back to 1979, when Jimmy Carter mistakenly de-recognized the government on Taiwan to recognize Beijing, uh, we, we'd had troops there for many, many years. And uh, I think this is the right thing to do. I, I would do more. I would uh, home port a couple of American naval vessels in Kaohsiung, uh, Taiwan's big harbor, and and show the Chinese that we're going to be there training and assisting the Taiwanese against any possible Chinese attack. The aim here is not to win a war that China starts. The aim here is to deter China from doing it. And and, and we, we believe it, we can do a lot more to uh, to do that. So, Ambassador Ed Cox here, do you actually announce it in a big way and rub it in the Chinese face or do you just do it and they learn about it? Which way do you which way do you handle it? You know, I, I would be building it up as rapidly as I could, but I would also be trying to, to integrate Taiwan into regional uh, defense uh, alliances like we have with NATO in the North Atlantic. There's a long way to go. We don't have anything like NATO in the Indo-Pacific. We need to. Ultimately, to deter uh, Beijing, you have to have Taiwan with multiple friends and allies. I think the Japanese would step up and do this. I think the Japanese would put uh, some of their troops in Taiwan. And uh, I think letting the Chinese know uh, is uh, ser- serves the point. I think we've got plenty of other problems with China, like this peace plan that they're about to offer in Ukraine, like what the administration is uh, now acknowledging publicly that China may be about to uh, supply weapons directly to Russia for use in Ukraine. Uh, th- this is a global war that we're in, and I think we've got to acknowledge that. And uh, it's one reason why we need a strategy to to win in Ukraine so we can get on with uh, with dealing with China and Asia. Ambassador, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, sir, how significant would it be if China start supplying real weaponry to the Russians? What would that do to well, the, the course of the war and international relations? Well, it would certainly t- torque it up a notch. But, you know, the Chinese have been helping the Russians right along. All, all this commentary you've read that China is really uh, disturbed by the Russian invasion is is, is, is a lot of nonsense. Uh, The Chinese have been buying uh, significantly increased quantities of Russian oil and natural gas to make up for the Western sanctions. They've undoubtedly been allowing sanctioned Russian financial institutions to launder money through China's opaque uh, banking system. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were part of the process of helping North Korea and Iran supply artillery and drones and other uh, systems. You know, money's fungible if the Chinese are providing weapons. Uh, that just makes it a little bit uh, quicker. And, and I'm, what, the, what worries me is that it pushes Russia even further into the arms of China. I think Russia's aggression has to be defeated in Ukraine, but I'm very worried that China is going to latch on to Russia in, in this growing partnership. They have very much China, the senior partner, with access to all the oil and gas and, and minerals uh, buried in a very lightly populated Russia with a huge China on its border. So uh, there, there's a lot to be concerned about here as a consequence, maybe unintended by Putin, but a consequence of the invasion. Yeah, really scary stuff. And everybody, we're talking to Ambassador John Bolton here on Cats and Cosby. Vito Facella, you got a question? Yeah, Ambassador, nice to be with you tonight. Uh, in this multi-dimensional chess game that's taking place before our eyes, what what should we be, we be in the United States, be concerned about movements that China is going to make in light of the movements that's happening in, in Taiwan as we speak? Well, I think that uh, they clearly have their eye on Taiwan. They're watching what we do in Ukraine to judge whether uh, we really can defend uh, the 
give the weapons for the Ukrainians to defend themselves adequately. And nobody nobody's watching that more closely than the Chinese, because their bet is if the United States can't rally Europe to defend a European country attacked by uh, Russia in this case, what are they going to do if the Chinese attack Taiwan or islands in the East China Sea, islands in the South China Sea? Uh, and so, so a lot rides on this because the Chinese are trying to gauge, in particular, whether the Biden administration is really up to it. Great. So, so the Chinese are very calculating people. Well, look, they, they think in long-term plans. We think in quarterly reports. Uh, it's a real advantage <laughs> they have over us. And, and this has been going on for some time. I think what we're seeing here is the unfolding of a Chinese strategy, uh, far from perfect, uh, even from their point of view, but much more well thought out over the long term than ours. All right. Well, Ambassador John Bolton, awesome to have you here. And boy, lots of stuff, uh, scary things that are out there. Uh, great to have you here on Cats and Cosby. Thank you, Ambassador. Glad to be with you. Thank you. And we have now, John, uh, Richard Terranzano. He is a cybersecurity expert. He's chief executive of the Terranzano Group. Um, you know, Richard, I got to ask you, um, we were just hearing from Ambassador John Bolton about Iran, about Russia, about China. How worried should we be worried, you know, in terms of cyber attacks by a lot of bad actors out there? Well, there are. And, and good afternoon. Um, you know, cybersecurity has emerged as kind of a key business risk that threatens firms, not only in terms of operations, but also actual survival. Uh, and it's really putting a lot of pressure on, on management. If you, if you think about it and you were to measure cybercrime as a country, then cybercrime, uh, which is, uh, would be the third largest country in the world, because the estimated global losses last year were about $10 trillion. Wow. So how do we uh, how do we fare? How does America fare? Because we've always been so concerned, especially about Russian hacking, Chinese hacking. How do we fare? How do we stand up to it? Well, I, I think you have to think about hacking um, in, in three areas. Hacks come from outside attacks. Um, these are state actors or overseas competitors and, and people like that. They want ransom, extortion, or they want to deny your service. There's also reputation attacks against brands or managements, and they want to disrupt. Uh, they are digital attacks on leaders. Um, their operational mistakes compounded by facts and so forth. And then the worst of all, which most people don't realize, are internal attacks. Um, these are either disgruntled or former employees uh, seeking retaliation for things like work issues or commercial espionage or financial gain. So, so, so first you've got to think about it like that. And then you have to look at who's doing all of this. Now, generally speaking, the risk world looks at the world and says, Russia is stealing our financial data and China is stealing our proprietary data. Uh, and there are others that are trying to disrupt, like Iran and so forth. But there's a lot of bad actors in the world today that are coming from overseas and trying to disrupt not only American business, but the American economy. Yeah, really scary stuff. Um, so how do we prevent it? What do we do, Richard Terenzano? Well, uh, at the corporate level, most, most American corporations today are doing what they need to do in terms of uh, protecting their sites, whether they be their websites or their or the, all of their internal uh, systems. But there's a lot of training and analysis that has to go into that. I mean, you have to appoint a C-suite executive in charge of this. 
you have to reach out and really be in tune with what's going on in the digital world. You have to practice um, crisis. In other words, uh, the management team of a company needs to practice. Practice makes perfect, and they have to have uh, tabletop exercises, as we call them, and, and, and work to handle various situations that could come at them because of their industry or their geography. So there's a lot of things that can be done, some of which are, are done very well, some of which are not being done very well. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's what we do in some of our companies, uh, Richard. Uh, uh, we put different different companies with different servers. So if we go down, it's only one company; it's not all the companies. That's right, John. That's spot on. And and a lot of companies are are, are mixing and matching not only their servers, but 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 they're also public facing their websites. But but the, but the real and, challenge. And also, the other thing is make sure we back up every night, so you're never one day behind. Uh, and you know what happens at that point? Uh, somebody tries to you uh, to to uh, get you on the cybercrime. You know what you tell them? Go fly a kite. <laughs> <laughs> the old traditional verbiage always works, right, John? The, yes. the, 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 old, the old New York way of doing things. But John, the real problem going forward is we've seen great a great deal of attacks across the world um, on single companies. But what's coming at us uh, is is attacks on multi-companies, multi-industry attacks, on infrastructure, on technology, on finance, on big enterprises. And when, when an entire industry goes down, when our electrical system is attacked, which is not up to snuff, or our infrastructure is attacked, which is not up to snuff, we're going to see disruption uh, in people's lives, in the economy, uh, in business is going to be devastating like we've never seen before. And, and that's coming because most of our systems our, our, our government systems and our infrastructure systems are not where they should be. Well, thank you, uh, Richard Terenzano. Uh, uh, Vito, you want to say uh, one more one thing? The, just what are the top three things? If you're out there, you have a company, you're, what are the top three things that a CEO should be doing or be concerned about right now? Well, num- number one is to have someone in charge of your entire cyber program. That's not only the IT side of it, but how your how a hack would affect your various stakeholders, your employees, your customers, your investors, other things. Second, be in touch with the, the top people in the industry um, who can help you not only in terms of IT, but in terms of reputation and the lawyers who are always needed uh, to help t- sort through uh, regulatory issues that when you're attacked. And finally, the third and probably the most important thing is practice. You've got to do exercises. You've got to do tabletop exercises and practice these things so when they do happen, you really do know what to do. Wow, great advice. Uh, Richard Terenzano, thank you so much. Awesome stuff, uh, the head of the Terenzano Group. We really appreciate it. I feel like we all learned so much. Thank you, Richard. Thanks. Thank you so much. And everybody, coming up on Cats and Cosby, we have Doug Schoen, who has advised Biden and Clinton. We're going to find out what advice he has for Biden now in Buttigieg, who uh, finally showed up after three weeks to Ohio. A lot coming up on Cats and Cosby. Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC.
And welcome back to Katz and Cosby. We continue, of course, Rita Cosby joining the great John Katzimatidis. And also still with us is Judge Richard Weinberg, Ed Cox, and Vito Fasella. Um, you know, you guys. And his son. And his son. Oh, by the way, we got to hear from his son because uh, Connor was just saying a little bit ago uh, that. You know, Buttigieg was the rising star. Connor, we got to get Griffin. Oh, Griffin, forgive me, Griffin. Griffin, we got to. I just met him for five seconds right before we started. But anyway, Griffin, forgive me, Griffin. You have been hearing, even like among your group, uh, that Buttigieg what was a rising star, right? And uh, what do you think of him now? You know, I always, I was always told I had a face for radio, so this is my first uh, input. But they uh, are, <laughs> by the way, they are not correct. TV two, TV two. <laughs> I sense a media star here, but go ahead. No, yeah, back in twenty twenty, they. Uh, Pete Buttigieg came out of nowhere as mayor of South Bend, and he became the transportation secretary, which is just insane. And this is just proving how incompetent he is. Yeah, you know what? And by the way, you have a very smart guy here, Vito. This uh, Griffin is future politician. You I see this. Well, Vito. Yes, you future well. borough president, future congressman. <laughs> um, you know, what do you make, actually, Judge, of the fact that it just came out a little bit ago? Um, we were talking about this. The big breaking news today, everybody, is that. NTSB said preliminary hearings uh, have determined, preliminary investigations have determined that it was the wheel bearings on the train that caused that massive derailment in Ohio that, as Griffin just aptly talked about, Buttigieg finally showing up there. That's going to be a lawyer's dream, right, Judge? I mean, a lawyer's dream, but I think, frankly, what we should be paying attention to is helping the poor people of this area. We should take all the resources we have unified approach by the federal, state, local governments to help these poor people. Yeah. You can't tell them the truth about the quality of the drinking water, the air, the impact on future generations. Forget about the lawyers making a buck. Let's deal with this issue. Yeah, absolutely. And get to the bottom of it. Um, you know, Vito, what do you think is ahead for Buttigieg? And what do you think is also ahead for Biden? How much of a repercussion politically, blowback, do you think uh, both of them are going to have? I, I, it depends. I think uh, it's going to be different for for. The president, different for the secretary. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, um, the response should have been immediate. I think everybody in this room agrees that when there's a tragedy in this country, we all rally around, help those in need, and wait to point fingers later. And here we are three three weeks later, and they're just making a visit. And by the way, I think it's they were forced to make a visit. If there wasn't such a, a, a exactly uproar, right. Exactly it would have been another right. another week, another two weeks. And it's a reflection, I think, of f- a fake sense of empathy for people in need. And uh, I, But for the most part, the rest of the country sees it, and the, the record would reflect that they didn't step up when they should have. Yeah, absolutely. And Ed Cox, you and I had the pleasure uh, last night, actually. We were at the Israel Heritage Foundation event. Um, Vice President Pence was there, Vice and President he, gave, he gave a terrific speech. That was his crowd, and he hit it out of the park. And lessons of leadership. Yes, lessons of leadership. By, by the way, did anybody wish uh, Senator Joe Lieberman a happy birthday today? Well, oh, my goodness. We should have called him. Yeah, Senator we should have. Healthy, happy, happy year, birthday. happy birthday. And there's, by the way, a See, great leader. One good, great leader. I was about to say, yeah. and here's our, with, his, with his group, his no-labels group, John, is so indicative of the kind of leaders we need now who gets along with everybody, right, John, like you. He is one smart guy, and he is common sense, and he knows how to balance everything. 
Yeah, we need more of that. You're, what did you hear from Pence last night a little bit, Ed? Fill us in. That was Pence. Pence is just so firmly in the principles of America, small-town American. That's where he came from, and he rose to be the vice president of the United States. It's one heck of a story. Yeah, it is. And Judge uh, Weinberg, one of the things we were also talking about, one of the other big headlines today is uh, that Jeb Bush of Florida is saying DeSantis should run this time. Talk about that. You think they'd call that political payback, Rita? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Where do you see it going, Ed Cox? Where, uh, well, the, the Republican race, actually, you don't know at this point. It is really wide open. Uh, clearly, uh, former President Trump is, is not what he was before. Different issues. He's looking back at 2020 rather than looking forward. And then you got the, uh, you, you, you've got uh, uh, Pompeo. Really picking up shits all over the place. Not showing the polls yet, but he could. He could come from nowhere. Uh, and of course, the real challenger here is DeSantis of Florida. Great. Well, I think that the other one that you left out is uh, Governor Governor Youngkin. I understand Doug Schoen is on. Doug, how are you? I'm good, John. Good to talk to you. Good. We only have a few minutes left, and uh, Doug sure. Schoen is the uh, political strategist uh, for the Democratic Party, and and one smart guy, and the. Uh, and he uh, advised President Clinton. Uh, what's going on in the Democratic Party? You know, when I see the New York Times going against what the, what we have now, and and the Washington Post and and the Tampa Bay uh, uh, Times, uh, is there a violin playing behind uh, President Biden's back? Well, Biden has managed to consolidate the Democrats mostly. Uh, there's no real opposition to him in the party and the most likely alternative candidate other than Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, has had great problems with the train derailment in East Palestine. So the Democrats are behind Biden. The rest of the country, not so much behind Biden. And the presidential horse race Oof, did we lose? I think we lost Ed, uh, uh, Doug uh, Schoen. You know, uh, it's it's white. It's right where I'm sorry, where the where the presidential race was in 2020. Biden and both DeSantis and Trump are within the margin of error. So, so what has happened, Ed Cox here, Doug? What has happened to the governor? Great, largest state in the union, California. The governor going nowhere. Why? Well, and I think the governor of New York State doesn't appear to be going anywhere either. Um, You know, I think the liberal wing of the Democratic Party has taken over. And as we've all discussed in different forms before, uh, the world is not the Democratic Party. The world is not the left. And my party has moved away from the kind of bipartisan conciliation that... uh, John, you and I, and I think Ed, and all of us in different ways have encouraged throughout our careers from different perspectives, to be sure, but with the interest of the greater good. Me and Doug, um, Doug Schoen, we're Bill Clinton Democrats, and we always work well together. Exactly. Well, thank you. We, we, we thank came you. on kind of late, and sorry we, we don't have more time. Late. Thank no, you. No, no and uh, thank you all for being here, Vito and Ed and... Uh, and Griffin. Uh, and Griffin. <laughs> and, and by the and way, judge. what do we all stand for, John? Truth, justice, justice and, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. And happy birthday, Senator Joe Lieberman.